Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here to discuss the Ohio State preview as Michigan State heads on the road for a Sunday afternoon contest right before the Super Bowl in Columbus taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes, who, um, boy, I don't know how to describe Ohio State this year, except that they're right now they're in free fall. They're 11-13 overall, 3-10 in the conference. Yet, because of math, I guess, <laughs> they're 38th in Ken Palm overall. <laughs> yeah, let's just stop there for a second. We, we've, we've talked about this in, in some other instances. We talked about how, um, you know, Maryland got a huge bump a seven spot bump from 30 to 23 by virtue of going to Minnesota and blowing out the Gophers who are a, the one truly bad team in the big 10 this year made no sense. There's a lot of these instances. There are too many of them to catalog, but perhaps the one that has captured the fancy of the social media world in college basketball at the very least is this team. Because Ohio State continues to lose, and yet they never seem to pay much of a price. It's, it's frankly bizarre. You are talking about a team that's a couple games under 500 overall. Um, they're 3-10 and 10 in the league. So essentially, it's their fate's already been determined. I mean, short of a miracle Big Ten tournament run, they're not going to the NCAA tournament this year. And yet, there they are, sitting at 38. I'm not sure where they are on the net. I haven't looked, but I've gathered 41. That, yeah. So still, uh, if you didn't know their record, you would look at it and say, well, yeah, you know, they're still in a pretty competitive spot. If they just take care of business and you know, kind of split their remaining games, they should be fine. But I'm telling you, there's no way they're getting into the field. It's not <laughs> happening. So I don't know what's going on in the black box this year. We, we, have, um, we have tossed out some um, possible uh, explanations for it. And, and one of them, I suppose, is uh, margin of victory. Um, or defeat it has to be as it. Yeah. It's and, and also I suppose what the teams that you've played are doing plays a role as well. And of course, in the big 10, you're, you're not playing very many games against bad teams, but I, I'm looking at their schedule. And honestly, when I look at the non-conference, San Diego States had a decent year. Cincinnati's okay. Texas tech has had a bad year. Duke's been 
you know, certainly not terrible by any means, but not what they were expected to be at the beginning of the season. And then you got North Carolina who they lost to and North Carolina is showing up on a lot of first four, um, bracketology, Mm -hmm. but so I, I don't understand this. Um, when I, when I look at, at what they've done, you know, uh, I, in their resume and I'm just scanning through these games. Yeah. They're, they're almost all single digit margins. They've got a couple of double digit wins in, in the big 10, but, um, it's a mystery to me. It's an absolute mystery. And I think the drum beat's going to get louder until they finally, if they finally slip out of the top 50, I, I just don't understand it. And, and I'm not, I'm not alleging conspiracy. I, I don't know. I <laughs> no. don't know what the reason is, but I know this, this has been such a strange year that you've with regard to the metrics, just not by this time of the year, there's usually an alignment. You know, you might have an argument, a discussion around one or two teams with marginal differences, but there's so many major weird results that, that you have this dichotomy between what results and your eyes are telling you and what Ken Palm and frankly, other metric systems are telling you that, um, there's something going on in, and, and unfortunately all of these systems, one of the things they share is to my knowledge, at least they're not, there's a black box element to some of what they do. And in Ken Palm's case, I I truly believe one of the things is where he starts. He doesn't start with everybody at at baseline. He has a preseason rating that factors into this. So that's one explanation. But then the other thing, and we have discussed this before, is this margin of victory notion. And I suspect that's a problem or or let's, let's not call it a problem. Let's call it a shared trait among all of these systems to one mm-hmm. extent or another, because historically, and I have no difficulty believing this, I don't question it. Historically, margin of victory correlates pretty strongly to how quote unquote good your team is or isn't. If that's what's the primary reason for what's going on this year, then it's not playing out. It's not working well enough this year. Now, is that enough to cause people to go back and reevaluate? Probably not. But this year, at least, it's causing some weird results. And Ohio State is right at the top of those. Out of doubt. And, you know, when I said they're 41st, that it hasn't adjusted since their loss to Northwestern as we're recording this yet, at least, you know, we've seen online. So potentially go down a little bit. But, I mean, they're still, they still qualify as a quad one win, right. which is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, that, and you know, that's great for the, t- for the 10 teams or 10 games that uh, big 10 opponents have beaten them for now, but <laughs> you just, you really wonder at, at what point do, does that start reflecting what this team actually is? Cause I look, I watched the majority of their game. Let's say about 60% of it tonight against Northwestern. They lost at home to Northwestern, by the way, a team they beat in Evanston earlier in the year. Um, but uh this is this is not a good basketball team right now and it was it was a weird game some of it is out of their control you know zed key is playing 
But Zed Key, which we'll get into in more detail in a couple minutes, um, has had a really tough year with injuries. He, he yeah, had a right. knee problem and he's had a shoulder problem. He's wearing some kind of sleeve on his shoulder and he actually looked like he aggravated it tonight. Now he did come back in and play, but he went up to try and challenge uh, Audige at the rim on a dunk attempt. And he came down really favoring the shoulder. As I say, he did come back and play, but he's nowhere near a hundred percent. And so that's been a factor. The other thing about tonight, which again, we'll talk about more detail, I guess, as we go, but you know, the one, uh, bright spot shining light to this season has been Bryce Sensabaugh the second year in a row that Ohio State's had a freshman wing who was known but wasn't expected to be a superstar and the guy has exploded into a superstar last year it was Malachi Branham and he went all the way into the first round of the draft well now people are talking about Sensabaugh the same way (laughs) it looks like they're going to lose him where this guy wasn't even the most highly regarded freshman recruit they had coming in. And he's been, I think pretty clearly the best freshman in the big 10, in my opinion. Um, But it was weird tonight. They only played him six minutes in the first half and he wasn't in foul trouble. and He didn't appear to be hurt or sick. And then they played him a little more in the second half, but not a ton more. And he, I, I was wondering is is Holtman finally trying to do something about the defense? Because he he struggles defensively. Um, yeah. But boy, it took him completely off his game. He's their leading scorer. He scored. He was came in averaging better than seventeen a game. He scored four tonight, and he got those late. Yeah. So you know, in a, in a relatively close game against Northwestern, that was a big deal that he didn't give them any real offensive punch. So it's um. It's a, it's another weird year for Chris Holtman. And I guess let's get into the rest of the stats and then I'll have a little more to say about him before we go into the individuals. Yeah. I just wanted to say briefly, you know, I think, you know, to make it, to make a point, just talk about the, the ratings, just one, just one little bit more. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you look at things and, and when you say that you have to start with some sort of baseline to keep put, the, put this in mind, you don't want to have, if everyone starts at zero, then you can have a bunch of you know, Alcorn state playing, you know, Kennesaw state. And, and so it can confuse you and say, Oh, this is like the number one defensive rebounding team in the country. And so Ken, Ken Pomeroy sets up averages, right? Power four out five gets certain things probably based on somewhat historically. And it's sort of like college football in the sense that, you know, you move down as you lose, you know, but if you start up at number one, it takes a long time to get down to number, you know, 135 or something. And so I think to your point, I think Ohio state would probably go down and go back up sort of enough initially and now they're losing to good teams and so they don't get hurt as badly even though they seem very dysfunctional but clearly there is a problem with his and maybe he adjusted his math somewhere and and you know i'm sure he doesn't tweak it he doesn't use an eye test to adjust things he's like well the math will work itself out right but this season ohio state is a prime example of where it's just broken and i you know yeah and in somewhat respects you know i don't i'm not really worried but a little bit of me is like, you know, you look at the NCAA evaluation tool, the net, right? Mm-hmm. Michigan State's 45th right now. Right. Not great, right? Uh, even though I think we all feel they're comfortably in the field. You look at all the bracketologists. But there were a number of times the bracketologists had Michigan State safely in the field. They were when they were safely in the field and they made that the first four. Well, there's one, thought they were, one time. That time. But I mean, th- I feel like oftentimes Michigan State's about one 
see lower than what we most people project. It, it's and I don't know if this because people projected higher, but I think, but I think you know the, the point is is like if you're 45th in the net, that is an evaluation tool that the committee has to use. Whether you know how much right. they weighed it, you know, in that room, I don't know. But it's something to to be a little concerned about because whatever it is that's not helping Michigan State much, <laughs> and it's helping these other teams that are you know right now sort of putrid like Ohio State. I, you know, that's something that you should be a little concerned about. I'm not worried about the tournament, but, you know, you have to think to yourself, well, yeah. it's think something could happen. And I just, something's got to be done about it. Maybe just need to be more transparent. So and on some level, you at least, if you know what you have to do, then you just do it, right? Like, oh, we have to win by 10. So you don't put your reserves in or something, right? I mean, you should just know all those things ahead of time in order to get better ratings. I know that just seems like a fair and thing. One of the things that's difficult, of course, you know, for a long time and college basketball was way ahead of college football in this respect. You know, the, the talk was always, you want to reward teams for playing tough schedules, which, you know, your conference, you can't help that, but you can do something in the non-conference and (laughs) Michigan state this year is an example. If you looked at that schedule heading into the season and it looked like an absolute murderer's row, right? Yeah. But Kentucky is another team along North Carolina in those first four projections, um, that's that's uh, that's been a problem. Villanova has not been nearly what we've come to expect of them. Um, even Gonzaga has been down a bit from what expectations were. You know, yeah. um, then they they went and really, I mean, you know, we talk about this margin of victory stuff. Michigan State hasn't had many blowout wins, but they also haven't had a lot of losses where they just got their clocks cleaned. But one of them where they did was at Notre Dame. And I suspect that one is hurting them a lot, which, okay, but this is where I would hope, I would hope that the committee can look at these, these numbers and bring some, for lack of a better term, humanity to it, because we all know there are at least a couple of reasons behind that. One was the insane travel schedule. Yep. And the other is they had Jaden Akins and Malik call out for that game. So you would hope that that gets factored in and maybe ends up being a mitigating factor. I'm not really worried about MSU. I understand what you're saying. Fact of the matter is if Michigan State does what it ought to do down the stretch, and by ought to do, I don't mean sweep. I just mean, you know, win, win the games you would expect them to win. Um, they'll be fine. You might not yeah. love their seed. You might argue with their seed by a line or so, but they'll be fine. Um, yeah. But, but the, yeah, the Ohio State thing just really, really sticks in my craw this year because I'm watching this team week after week. And look, I, you know, tonight's an example. They lost at home. They lost a home to a Northwestern team that's that's solid, that's good, but isn't considered a lock yet to be a tournament team. Shouldn't that hurt you? It seemed to hurt Michigan State when it happened to them. And, and it did hurt. In fairness, it did hurt Ohio State. They fell six spots in Ken Palm as a result of this. So tonight it seemed to work. But, man, it's, it's been a long time coming. This team's lost 10 out of its last 11. And they're still in the top 40? Still, uh, yeah, I without I without that. a really great non-conference win. I mean, they beat North Carolina. That's not a great win. 
it's a decent win. They beat St. Francis by like 40, though, I think, Rob. Yeah, yeah see, but I mean, this is, the, and that's what I mean. This <laughs> yeah, stuff, I don't know. I, I, I just, you know, and Pete, there's even a term for it. People talk about Ken Palm time, which is the last five minutes or so of a, of a non conference blowout. You know, or really any game where you're winning comfortably. Oh, you don't you don't want to give too many points away. Well, yeah. you know, Tom Izzo doesn't play that way. You know, and and maybe he should. I don't know, but it, but if we're saying he should, I think that's a problem with the system. It's not a problem with him. Correct. Yeah. It, it, absolutely. Yeah. Running up the score should not be. Oh. You should not be rewarded too much, and that's why the net is supposed to just provide a certain amount of yeah. bonus. If you want you beyond ten, it doesn't matter if you're ten or forty points. You know, as long as you right. won by double or some sort of. I'm not exactly sure what the numbers, and and I can't verify the veracity of this, but I someone in the Spartan Mag board, I think this week, mentioned that Michigan State had the number two Ken Palm <laughs> strength of schedule in the country. Um, right. Because you know they played Purdue twice, they played Rutgers twice, they played right. Kentucky, Gonzaga, all these teams. And so, you know, the fact that they're where they are as far as the record, I think people should be not quite as panicked, but we'll kind of get into that, I suppose, uh, as we talk here a little bit. All right. Well, I guess let's talk about Ohio State here. Uh, Like I said, they're 38th in Ken Palm overall. Uh, On offense, they're 19th. They're 92nd defense. I want to talk about that for a second. My opinion, and I don't know, I don't have a sense of where the Ohio state administration is, but I would be, if this season ends the way it looks like it's going to end without an NCAA tournament bid, I would be saying if you're going to stick with Chris Holtman, and I don't sense that there's any groundswell to fire him. He's actually got a good recruiting class coming in next year. He's had, he had a good one this year. You know, he's done those things, which he kind of wasn't doing as well earlier in his stint. He's picked it up. Um, but I would say if you're going to keep him, it's time for an intervention because this is three years running that they've been a very good offensive team and some form of horrible on the defensive end. And when it's one year, okay, it's a blip, you know, like Matt painter had that blip last year. Well, they're right Mm -hmm. back to where they typically are this season. That was just a function of a, a, a particular, um, team and particular group of personnel and just some weird stuff that, that wasn't reflective of what the program typically does. And they're right back where they normally are, but this is now a habit for Ohio state. We can officially say that. And it's, it's different guys, you know, different teams roster in terms of roster composition. And it's the same results year after year after year. Um, I have mentioned for the last couple of years, that if I were an Ohio State fan, I would be displeased with where this has gone. They at least made the tournament in those seasons. Now right. we're talking about a pretty much a clinched non-tournament season. Um, I'd be very unhappy. When you are at Ohio State, um, and it's not a basketball school. We all know this. It's a football school. Part of the reason I don't think he's necessarily – I wouldn't expect him to get fired is because of that. Yeah, um, sure. But if, if you're an Ohio state fan, you have every reason to expect that your program can contend on a fairly regular basis for big 10 championships, be positioned to make deep runs in March, all of those things. Basically, in my opinion, 
the fad mata period should be more or less the standard. And that's not knocking. I'm not saying any coach can do it. I think fad mata right up until he couldn't walk was a very yeah. good coach. He was, he was the only guy in the big 10 that I would even think about at that time, putting in the same sentence with Izzo more so even than Bo Ryan, because Thad Mata could recruit talent too, as well as coach it. Um, the reason I say this is if you're at Ohio state, you have tremendous resources. You are the preeminent school in a, what's normally a talent rich state, maybe hasn't been as strong as it normally is the last two, three seasons, but there's still players there and, and you're Ohio state, you've got the reach to go out as he's been proving lately to go out, you know, sense from Florida, Thornton's from Georgia. You can get guys nationally. If you're Ohio state, mm-hmm. all the tools are there for you to be an annual factor in the, and the fact of the matter is his best season by a long shot was his first with pretty much Thad Mata's roster. Right. So I, this was a hire that was hailed at the time they got Holtman from Butler. Um, I thought it was a great move, uh, you know, especially because it, it looked for a while like they were going to get um, McDermott from Creighton. And I, I thought at the time this was a better move. Uh, but, I, man, if it were me, I'd be losing a little bit of faith. Um, this, it's just, it just hasn't worked and, and it's at a place, you know, this isn't Penn state. It's not Minnesota. It's not Iowa. This is at a place where, you know, Ohio, I mean, you look back, I I look back over the years that I've been paying attention and Ohio state has had some down periods to be sure, but man, they've had a lot of up periods. I mean, they were great. Uh, in the uh, Gary Williams and then Randy Ayers there got to a final four there. They got to a final four under Jim O'Brien. They got to a couple final fours under Thad Mata. So different guys have been able to do it at a very high level in Columbus. There's no legitimate excuse in my mind for anybody at Ohio state, not having more success than what he's had so far. Now, again, what does that equate to? One, one interesting thought, and we're going to see in the offseason, it has crept into my mind, might he make that Steve Alford at Iowa move where he gets out ahead of the posse? Yeah. He doesn't wait to get fired. He jumps. There's some, you know, there's some interesting jobs out there. Um, you know, I heard his name mentioned with Notre Dame. There doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, juice behind that, but you know, that would be, it wouldn't be a, a parallel move, but it would be close. Um, you know, and you'd still be in the Midwest, uh, and you buy yourself some time. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's going to be fascinating to me. He's got such a great recruiting class coming in that I wouldn't think he would cash in his chips, but I also don't think he expected this. I didn't expect it. I picked him fourth. So, you know, I got egg on my face too. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you also, I mean, even if you take a move nowadays, you feel like, well, you know, one or two of those crews might follow you. So it may not be quite as, you know, um, might, it's difficult to make that move. That's true. Well, they'd have to let them out and all that. But yeah, I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see what jobs open up. We, we don't know. 
um, what might happen. Uh, but that thought has crossed my mind. Like might, if there's an opening somewhere that's legitimate, might Holtman opt to get out figuring that, you know, he's running out of patience. And if he has one more now, you know, most of these guys have egos that, um, you know, would suggest that he would look at it and say, no, we're going to be fine next year. But, you know, as this year proves, you never know. Well, and I think, you know, when you look at the team right now, you could say, well, if they had two ACLs, they lost, you know, suing and, you know, Zed Key were out for the whole season. Then you could say, well, this is, you know, this is understandable how you're having this your right. season's gone down the flusher, you know, where you're playing poorly. This program to me feels like early Minnesota dwindling. You know, it just feels like a, the program is just kind of fading away. Uh, and then, then next thing you know, you're going to have a season where you have like one really good player, he gets injured and then you're told you're toast. And then you, you're unable to attract new talent. Here's one problem. You know, they've got a very good class coming in. I don't know if any of the guys they've got coming in will, would be expected to be an immediate superstar. They've got a sure. lot of guys who should contribute. Um, if you tell me that Bryce Sensabaugh is back, okay, but I think they're going to lose him. You yeah. know, they're going to lose him. Um, a couple of their, current, well, we'll go through all the, we'll yeah. go through the starters. Yeah. There's yeah, going to be almost nobody left. Starters are grad transfers. You know, yeah. so it's not like they're bringing everybody back from this team. And it's kind of like Indiana where, you know, this year we said, well, they were mediocre or worse, but um, they're bringing everybody back and you figure they'll all get better. And then you're adding some good players and the mix will be better. It's not quite that equation for Ohio State. Yeah, this is a really puzzling team. So, you know, on offense, they shoot really well from three. They're 36.6%, they're, but, but, which is good for 42nd. But, but they can't hit twos. <laughs> well, I'm going to offer it. And 165. And they were terrible today. And, to, and today they were awful. One for yeah. 14 against Northwestern. So Northwestern's a good defensive team, but I watched it. Ohio State missed a lot of makeable shots. Um, if you're Michigan State, half glass full, half glass empty. <laughs> They've been very good <laughs> over the course of the season. So you figure yeah. they will get back on track. They value the ball well. They're number 40th in turnovers. Uh, Good offensive rebounding team at 37th, although compared to who Michigan State's been playing, maybe not quite as good as those teams. They don't get the line very often. They are 270th in free throw attempts per field goal. I, I, uh, I want to talk. I want to talk about that for a second because it's okay. it's strange to me, and it has to. It's strange to me only in this sense. It's strange when you look at their team. It's not so strange when you watch them play. They have a group of guys. If you look at that team, just uh, this is like the uh, what was the line? Um, Al McGuire used to have all airport. So guys who look good walking around Ohio State, <laughs> like a lot of their perimeter guys, Thornton, likely Sensabaugh, even suing to some extent. These guys are put together. Zed Key is an absolute load. You know, yeah. now you can give him a little bit of a break because again, he hasn't been a hundred percent for a lot of the year, but you look at their team and you think, my God, these guys should be a wrecking balls, but they don't play that way. Yeah. They just don't Avoid get contact. To the, yeah. They just don't get to the line very much. They're a good shooting team. They, they actually, their profile in that way is a lot like Michigan state, you know, <laughs> Sensabaugh takes a lot of long twos and he hits us a fair amount, but you know, 
they live in the mid range and from three, they are not a team despite the way they look that gets to the line very much. So it's kind of surprising. Yeah. And so as we mentioned before, defensively, they're not good. They've had trouble against the twos or 97th against twos. The number, the three percentage is pretty good at number 43, but they, um, allow a lot of attempts and so, which we've mentioned in the past that's just that's a problem they're mediocre in that way oftentimes you'll see some more, a little more correlation in their case you know teams aren't shooting the three well against them although northwestern did decently tonight um but uh but they they don't limit threes extremely well so you know if they run into a good shooting team on a hot night it could be a problem uh, they're also not a very good defensive rebounding team at 131st, yeah. and they play a pretty slow pace at 196. So, uh, you know, I mean, the numbers are not complete disasters, but on the court, they they certainly don't seem very cohesive or I don't know. I did. They just they just they just seem broken. Like we'll see this occasion from Michigan State where you play a couple games. You're like, oh, I don't know. This team is never going to beat anybody. And they kind of just figure it out and they're OK. This is a team that just looks like they can't beat anybody. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they can't. They've lost ton of 11. So I, <laughs> I mean, guess that's, that's a good sign. The, that's the story. The one win they got was the one I think I called here against Iowa, where they lost a few in a row. And I said, "Well, with the Big Ten the way it is this year, Ohio State's going to win this game," and they did. But then they hit the skids right after that, and they still haven't recovered. Yeah. Um, you know what's going to be interesting about this, and and you know we'll see how it unfolds. Of course, is you could you could go one of two ways. I mean, you could say. Well, that, that's a team that's probably lost all confidence at this point. You could also say, well, it's a team that figures their record should be a lot better than it is. And they're at home and they got nothing to lose. So they're going to make a stand right. and, and, and we'll see which way it turns out. I'm sure there are people debating whether it would have been better for MSU for them to win the game tonight <laughs> against Northwestern, which was a winnable game. I mean, yeah, trust me, there. They if, were you, if you watched it, um, even when Northwestern had a nine point lead late and then proceeded to make a series of incredibly stupid plays to Ohio State had a chance to cut it to one. They were down four with the ball with like two minutes to play about a minute earlier. They had been down nine. Northwestern did everything they could to allow Ohio State to have an opportunity and Ohio State just kicked it right back to them. So. I don't know which way I land on that. You know, would it, uh, if they'd beaten Northwestern, would that have been a confidence booster, you know, and then they, you just don't know. I I think what the safest way to go is you evaluate what they've done over the course of the season and what they've done over the course of the season has not been very good. (laughs) That's, that's for sure. Uh, let's talk about the starters and the, the team, the players we'll begin with Bruce Thornton, six, two freshman, he averaging nine points a game on 44, 38, and 78 shooting, leading this team in assists at, with a two-to-one ratio. I, every time I see him play, I'm like, this guy's pretty – and he was expected to be good. It's not a surprise. He was a highly regarded recruit, and he's played – you know, you look at those numbers, that's pretty good offensive basketball, right? But, yeah. um, but I just – it just doesn't always come together in terms of making winning plays when they need it. And defensively, like a lot of their guys, he struggled, but there's a world of potential here. I mean, he's definitely a guy with a lot of talent and I can imagine him continuing to grow 
over the next year or two into a very good Big Ten point guard because the, the skill set is there. And he's sure. one of these guys that I was talking about. You look at him, he reminds physically, he reminds me of Mateen Cleaves. I mean, he is put together. He's quick and he's strong, but he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't utilize that in terms of drawing, seeking out contact, drawing contact and getting to the line the way you might think he would from looking at him. Next would be Isaac Likely, 6'5 grad transfer from Oklahoma State. And he's second assist to Thornton, but barely. Uh, he has a three to one assist to turnover ratio, averages only four points a game on 38, 14, and 42 shooting, yeah. which is, I mean, that's pretty bad free throw shooting. And uh, he pulls down almost five rebounds a game. Yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of a glue grit player. And I think on, on a better team, a team that didn't have to play him as much, you would you would feel better about him. The shooting numbers are obviously horrendous. Um, but he's what passes is their best defensive player. Certainly on the perimeter he is. And again, as you say, he's been a pretty decent playmaker. He and Thorpe kind of share that point guard spot, and he's done a decent job. He just can't shoot. Next would be the Wings, Sean McNeil, 6'4", grad transfer from West Virginia, averaging 9.4 points a game on 39, 38, and 88 shooting. Yeah, you know, he was brought in with one major thought in mind, which is to give Ohio State perimeter shooting, and he's done that. So you give him credit for that. He's a weapon as a three-point shooter. Defensively, he struggles, but, you know, they, they kind of knew that was the equation coming in. So I think he's been a reasonably successful transfer addition for them, given the role they wanted him and expected him to play. Next would be Justice Suing, 6'6", senior. I think he's originally from Hawaii. He tra- played in California for a couple of years and transferred in. Uh, he missed almost all of last season with an injury, but he's been very good this year, 12.7 points a game at 45, 24, and 68 shooting along with five rebounds a game. Yeah, he was he was their top scorer tonight in the loss against Northwestern. He had 19. Um, the three point shooting's a disappointment. And yeah, and that's that's limited him a little bit because he had different times in his career. He's looked like a guy who could be a real three level scorer, and it just hasn't played out that way this year. But um he's still a very tough cover. When you watch him, he's a guy who, you know, they they're starting him at the four. So he's a tough matchup. If you think about, okay, Joey Hauser's got to guard him. That's going to be a challenge for Joey. I, I think it's one he can handle, but it's going to be a challenge because suing is capable of going off the dribble and attacking you. He likes to do that as a matter of fact, instead of settling for jumpers. Um, so he'll, he'll be a challenge, but he's, he's actually, I would say he and Sensabaugh have been the highlights this year for him, especially because he's coming back off an injury. So you always have questions about how that'll go. And he's, he's mostly answered them positively. Finally, for starters, Zed key, uh, senior or uh, sorry, junior six foot nine, been a very good player. He's some, even as a freshman, he looked really good and he looked like he was going to be very impactful, but he's had a lot of injuries, which as you mentioned earlier, he's had some shoulder injuries and just problems overall. He's averaging 11.4 points a game on 55, 29 and 66 shooting, leading the team rebounding with a little under eight rebounds a game and a block a game. Yeah. He's, he's a guy I like 
And I've liked him ever since they brought him in. You know, he was kind of an underrated recruit. He might have even been outside the top 100. But you could tell right away, like immediately as a freshman, oh, this guy can play and he's going to be a problem in the post. You know, Um, I I think this year it's it's been tough because he's been banged up a lot of the way. He's had a shoulder injury, which has been aggravated a couple of times, including tonight. Uh, He had a knee injury mixed in there. He's only missed one game, but he's not what he could be. His numbers are fine, but I think a healthy Zed key would be more productive than he's been offensively, especially Um, defensively. You know, the problem they've got with him is kind of the same one they've had for a while. They had it with, if you remember Caleb Wesson, it was a similar thing. He doesn't move his feet well enough to where you can really uh, be confident in him being able to be an effective pick and roll defender. So they have to, they have to have him sag probably more often than you'd like. And it's, it's not the only problem Ohio state's got defensively, believe me, but it's a problem. <laughs> um, you know, when, when you can't, when you can't do that, when you can't play people, you know, more aggressively on the perimeter, it's going to be a problem because you're going to, you're going to end up giving up good shot attempts. You're going to end up giving up good looks. There's nothing you can do about it. And, and so that's kind of been the problem with Zach key. as I say, even offensively, he's been held down a little bit, uh, just because, um, he hasn't been healthy. And then we move on to the reserves and the aforementioned Bryce Sensabaugh, six, six, uh, sensational freshman wing, probably gonna be freshman of the year in the conference. And a top player nationally, he's um, probably going to leave the team, which is, as you mentioned earlier, is surprising. He's av- hard averaging to six know. points. Hard to know. Hard to, but, well, right, but sure. It, but right now, you would you would be worried about it if you were an Ohio State fan. He's averaging 16.7 points a game on 49, 45, and 81 shooting and five and a half rebounds a game. Uh, you know, and he has a, I guess you'd expect him to have to be a little trouble defensively, especially on a team like uh, Ohio State and inexplicably didn't play a whole lot tonight. And, uh, and when he was playing it, I only watched the end of the game and he certainly struggled when I, I didn't even realize he didn't play much because I, he was playing when I was watching at the very end of the game, last six minutes or so. And he wasn't able to, he missed his three and he was, yeah, missed his shots when he's driving the lane and stuff. But I guess that's what sounded like that was his game pretty much. Well, tonight. I suspect, you know, I, I, I took a look on social media to see if I could find out if anything had been said, like, was he sick? Was he hurt? And from what I could gather, there was no explanation for it. And as I mentioned, he only played six minutes in the first half. And the feeling was that it completely took him out of sync offensively. And he looked like that. I've seen him a fair amount this year and he's a weapon. I mean, that kid is a born scorer. I like him better than Branham and Branham was pretty damn good last year for them. But I think Sensabaugh is even better just as a pure offensive go get a bucket player. He's really put together at six, six physically, very difficult to guard. He can hurt you in the mid range. He's a mid 40 shooter from three on the season. And he, and he's pretty good with his shot selection there. He doesn't get suckered into shooting uh, a tremendous amount from deep, but he's fully capable of hitting them. Um, 
I don't know what the deal was tonight, but uh, for Ohio State's sake, they got to hope it's a one-time deal because if he struggles <laughs> against that, if he struggles against MSU, it's I mean, look, offense is the only thing that makes his team competitive. You know, they're not guarding anybody. So if your best offensive player is taken out of rhythm, that's that's a bad scene. Um, but look, he he's you know, this is a year where it feels like to me a lot of obviously it's a year where centers are really dominant. We look at the best players, you know, it's Edie and Trace Jackson Davis are the are the top two guys. And then right. maybe you get to uh, you know a guy like Chris Murray, who's kind of a hybrid, more of a four man than anything mm-hmm. else, in my opinion, in, in the modern game. Um, but this kid, I would say among pure wings, the only guy I'd maybe be tempted to put in the same class as a scorer is the best version of Terrence Shannon at Illinois. And, and that's really about it. So he's, he's a, he's a really, really good offensive player. Uh, so next would be Felix opera, 6'11", 220 pound freshman, uh, playing a little bit more just because of keys issues and not able to play as much because of his injuries. He's averaging three and a half points a game on 58, 100, just one of one from three and 60 shooting and is grabbing 3.3 rebounds a game and a little over a block a game as well. You know, it, I think Ohio state fans, if you're, if you want to be encouraged about some things in this season, he's one area of small encouragement. And I say that because he at least has the kind of profile to maybe change what's been going on at Ohio state. Ohio state's had this run of, you know, several years now where, you know, going, going back even to, you know, late Thad Mata where, um, you know, it's been, it's been these big centers who are really good, low post players offensively, but they limit what you can do on defense. And, and this kid, at least to me, looks to have the athleticism to potentially be more than that. He's already a very good rim protector, but I would think with some time and hopefully with some coaching, um, he can develop even as a defender away from the rim a little bit too needs to get stronger. He's only 220 right now, but that that'll probably come. Um, you know, there's some potential there for sure. And he was highly regarded as a recruit. So it's not a shock that he's been okay. Next would be Tanner Holden, six, six senior transfer from Wright state has not done as much as they'd hoped. He's averaging a little under four points a game on 47, 50 and 86 shooting. Um, but obviously limited volume with only four points a game. That's the thing. I mean, he was a big time scorer at Wright State. And so this is an example, not in efficiency terms, but in productivity terms of how that mid-major stuff isn't necessarily translating. Yeah. Now, in fairness to him, uh, if you look at Ohio State's roster, you know, they bring in McNeil and Likely. And likely they gotta have because of the defense and the leadership and and playmaking. McNeil, they need because he's their best three-point weapon, they, they think. And then you have Sensabaugh merge off the bench as your best yeah. offensive player. How big a role is there? But I think they they were very, very there were a lot of people very excited about getting Holden as a, as a portal addition. And it hasn't translated into big production, even though he shot the ball pretty well. Yeah, and this is a this is sort of a reflection too of us not watching every game and seeing why you know 
probably us watching, we'd have a better idea for why he's not playing as much. Well, he's, I can tell you he's not great defensively. Well, that's and, and, <laughs> and, a good reason. But, in a bad but, defensive team, that's a bad sign. But but the the other thing is, as I just mentioned, I think what's happened is, you know, they they had two other portal additions come in who were filling roles that were considered more necessary. And then they had a freshman just explode. And yeah, I think right. that's the biggest thing. Sensabaugh has just chewed up. You know, he's playing 24 minutes a game off the bench. And the other two guys are playing a lot too. So there just isn't a lot of time available for Holden. And then, you know, you look at them offensively, Sensabaugh is going to get a lot of shots, rightly so. How many shots are left for him? You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. And then finally, uh, Roddy Gale, six four freshman wings, both athletic skilled. He's uh, not had trouble with his shot this year. He's only averaging 3.8 points a game at 40, 31, and 77. Yeah, they, they like his potential, and I can understand why I haven't seen him. He was a highly regarded recruit. He was a top 100 guy. Might have even been top 50. I can't remember. Um, but you can see why, because he's athletic, he's got good length, and he's he's reasonably skilled. He's just, you know, he looks like a good, decent freshman who's not an instant major impact guy. So there's reason to be optimistic about him for the future. But for this year, you know, he's a role player and kind of deep in the rotation. Yeah. And I think, you know, just looking at the at the roster, you can see potential problems, right? You have a freshman in Thornton, but you've got a grad transfer, grad transfer, senior who are all going to be gone next year. And then they just leave Zed Key. And then you've got right. Sensabaugh, who we suspect might be gone. You've got a senior transfer and Holden, who's probably. Gone. I mean, it, it's going to be it's going to be almost entire roster turnover again from to the next year. So without much, we have one senior and like a, a sophomore and I guess whoever you bring in as far as transfers. I, I will I will say this: um, it, it, it's a good thing in that assuming Thornton comes back, which I would assume, um, you finally have because point guard's been a problem at Ohio state for a while, for several years. And they seem to have that solved going forward with Thornton. I think he's, he's decent now, good now offensively, and he's only likely to get better. Um, so that's important. Zed key having an experience and, and the backup there, they seem to be set at the five, but yeah, everywhere else, you're probably looking at a lot of turnover. So that's, it does make you wonder. And, and look, this year, even though on paper, you know, people were pretty impressed with their, um, their portal additions, you know, they went out and got three guys. And I remember there was a lot of optimism around it. Well, look at what they've actually got. McNeil's been solid, but he's not even scoring double digits. Likely has been important, but he's also struggled mightily with his shot and Holden isn't, isn't doing a lot productivity wise. So how much did they really get? Well, I know at least in reading, you know, social media, there is an infinite supply of high quality threes and fours out there in the transfer portal they can pick up next year. That's correct. That's correct. (laughs) It's just easy. You just have to want to do it. Yeah. I mean, you just just don't be stubborn and just start load up your team with a bunch of them. Right. Yeah, I think so. Just scholarship slot. Make sure you have 13 guys on scholarship. (laughs) Yeah. Just waiting in the wings. It's like a vending machine. You just kind of punch it out. Yeah, you put another quarter in. You need another guy. You bring another guy out. Chris Holtman just showed you the way. (laughs) I mean, he's won three Big Ten games. All right. So (laughs) before we go to the piece of the game that brought to you by Nudge Printing, let's talk about a great sponsor, Nudge Printing. Uh, Again, they're uh, it's 
owned and operated by Brittany and Gabe, who are MSU alums. They've had the company since 2011. It's based in Portland, Michigan, so it's Michigan-made, high-quality screen printing stuff. They are now printing our Final Four is not on the schedule t-shirts. So if you didn't get one before, or if you got one, you said, man, this is awesome. I wish I had more. Go to their site. You can go to it at our um, website. It's the easiest way to get there. You can go to um, finalfoursnotetheschedule.com slash merchandise, or just go to the little, I think they call it the little hamburger, the little menu in the top, and you can select merchandise. It'll take you to our page. You can either buy a t-shirt, and we also have hoodies now, which my son's like, that looks pretty nice, dad. So I'm probably going to have to get a hoodie for him at some point, maybe one for myself. I have one of the sweatshirts. It's soft. It's very wearable. It's not um, so bulky and kind of, I don't know, like it just reminds you of the, the, you know, the sweatshirts you used to have in like the 90s. They're all just like oversized and just kind of sort of stiff. It's not like that. So it's it's very uh, much more comfortable for a sweatshirt. So uh, anyway, all the proceeds for the stuff that's Final Fours on the schedule go 100% to our to our show to help support the show and help what we're doing, you know, because we're like... I mean, I can't tell you what Rod was doing to get ready for the show, but he was like hand, he had his abacus out. He was like his slide rule. He's trying to figure out all the uh, new Ken Palm statistics because, you know, they just move fast enough for after the game. So we had to get this recorded for you guys. So you guys would have it in time. So he was doing all kinds of grunt work in the background to make sure we get this episode out for you. Uh, so go head on over to nudgeprinting.com slash uh, or nudgeprinting.com, and then at the checkout, you can enter in the the coupon code FINAL4 to get 20% off your checkout. And I have given out a couple of gift cards. We have $5 gift cards if you want to get somebody nudge printing. Leave a written review on your podcast player of choice. Take a screenshot. Email it to me at erica at tffinots.com. And then I will send you a coupon code or gift card code actually for $5 off. And then you can still use the coupon code of final four to get 20% off your order. So everybody wins great quality products. Make sure you check it out. So we're going to break for just a second for a quick ad and then we'll be right back with our keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Number one, which seems like it's uh, maybe permanently on the list at this point in this position, are the threes. So both teams shoot the three very well. Ohio State was dreadful against Northwestern tonight. Uh, as you mentioned, they had a lot of open ones. They just were missing them. And maybe in part that was because their best three-point shooter, Sensabaugh, was on the bench most of the game. Um, Michigan State obviously requires the threes to, to for their scoring and and so, you know, it's going to be important for both ends, both defensively and offensively for both teams. Yeah, it's it's both teams. You know, neither team gets to the foul line a lot. Um, 
neither team is great from two. And I think in part that's because key isn't what you would normally expect him to be because of the injuries. Uh, but yeah, both teams really need the three point shot to be a big part of what they're doing. And I think if either one has a decisive edge in that area, that's going to be big. Yeah, it was interesting. I was, I think when I turned on the game, it, Ohio State at that time was one of 13 from three and like 21 of 24 from two. So they were, they, they were like 90% from, from two. Complete opposite of, uh, of what they normally do. Now, you know, in that game, give Northwestern a little bit of credit. Certainly Northwestern's a very good defensive team. And I thought they were trying to do the best that they could to take away good looks. The fact, the fact that Ohio state only attempted 14, right? Exactly. Is, yeah. is testament to that to some extent, but, uh, yeah, just kind of the flip side of what Ohio state's profile has been all year. But in this game, I, I think it's, if either team gets an edge, it's going to help a lot. Do you feel like Michigan state on average? I mean, if you don't know, just go, all things being even, that they should probably average about 23s a game or something around there. I I would, I would be comfortable and I haven't, I haven't actually looked at the numbers. I don't know if you have them handy to see what their seasonal um, average I is. Up, I mean, yeah. I can, yeah, I can pull it up. Um, I don't think it's probably quite that high, but I feel like a team that relies on the threes. As yeah. Much as they do. You, and, you, and Michigan State does not usually take a lot of bad threes, right? So if they're getting up 20, they're probably well, decent. That's, looks. that's part of it. That's part of it. Um, Let's see. So they average so four forty-five, and they've played twenty-four. So it's not quite that many. Um, so four forty-five, twenty-four. Yeah, they're averaging eighteen and a half attempts. So pretty close to twenty. Close, yeah. but uh, you would you would like to see it a touch higher, and yeah. and, and but you make a good point. Part of the reason we talk about how important it is, is because they're very efficient. They've shot the three very well, right? You can, you can get in some trouble if your shot selectivity gets worse. You know, there's a balancing right. act there and by and large, Michigan state takes pretty good shots. Very rarely do we see games where there's, you know, more than one or two at the most three point attempts where you feel like, uh, that wasn't a great one. Like, you know, uh, watching Northwestern tonight, I'll go back to that game against Ohio state. <laughs> it's maddening. And Northwestern's guards have been much better than they were a year ago in this regard. But even saying they're improved doesn't mean they're great in terms of shot selection. I, I watched Chase Audige, and if I was rooting for a team that had Chase Audige playing for it, I would, I would lose my mind. <laughs> he takes, and Bowie too, but Audige even more so. Just shot selection is completely off the table at times with that guy. You do not see that from Michigan State, and I do think part of their success is due to that, that they are smart about the threes that they take. But yeah, ideally, you would like to see them generate a couple more good looks per game. Let's put it that way. So number two key to the game is the defensive glass. Ohio State has been a pretty good offensive rebounding team this season. Michigan State has been a pretty, good, pretty decent defensive rebounding team this 
this season. So Michigan State needs to kind of hold serve and prevent Ohio State from getting second chances for sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be big. Um, you know, you every game that they play, it's big. You want to limit those second and third shots on a possession. If you're Ohio State is a decent shooting team, you know, very good from three, but decent overall with that factored in. You don't want to be, if you get a miss, you can't be giving up a second chance very often. So, and, you know, they've got guys, even your key watching key tonight. I think he had four offensive rebounds, but he probably had at least as many offensive rebounds that Ohio state got just because he kept the ball alive. So even at something less than a hundred percent, he's a problem. You know, he's got a, I don't know what his wingspan is, but he's always looked like a guy that's got a seven foot plus wingspan to me, even though he's six, nine, um, he uses it effectively, you know? And, and so that's going to be an issue for Michigan state. They're going to have to be very conscientious of him in particular. Number three, key of the game, the post. So how do they stop key? Do you double him? Do you dig down? I mean, you know, uh, what, if I feel like we we face this every year and and I, every game, and I think now with I think Sissoko has been playing better defensively of at least certainly the last game, uh, you know. But maybe you see a little bit more Cooper because maybe this is a, a matchup he can handle a little bit better, and maybe and you know of course you're going to see Kohler out there as well. Maybe Kohler can get some stuff done too in the post. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's to be interesting to see what happens strategically. It's an it's interesting on a lot of levels. First of all, something I don't even think we talked about. I don't believe Carson Cooper played. In the Maryland game, yeah. which is the first, maybe only the s- second time all year. He, he didn't, didn't play Gonzaga, right? Right. He broke some but rules. That was and, a rules thing. Other than that, right. I'd, I'd have to look at it, but I don't think he sat other than that. So that was interesting. Um, but you might be right. He might be back in the rotation for this one. Uh, look, Michigan State this year has broken a lot of the rules in terms of how they defend. You know, the standard for Michigan State historically under Tom Ezzo has been that they just do not double in the post. Just don't do it. And we've seen them. We have seen them double more this year. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this than all the other years of Tom Ezzo's career combined. Because it's been, especially in Big Ten play, (laughs) we've seen it, you know, with some frequency. And that doesn't mean they double every single time there's a post touch, but they're doing it a lot and they've done it in very different ways. They've done some digging down. They've done some pure double downs where the four man comes over. Um, They varied the timing. They varied the frequency. They've just thrown a lot of different things at, at opponents. Um, Zed key is not a big assist guy. He's, he's averaging less than one assist per game. And he, he hasn't had a huge number of turnovers, but he's had more turnovers than assists, which is a good place to start from if you're going to double. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see how Michigan State opts to do it because this is a team, unlike some others MSU has faced, where you do worry about if he can kick it at back out out of a double wide open shooters and what that might mean, you know? So does yeah. MSU opt to employ something closer to what they did in the Breslin game against Zach Eady, where they just kind of decide, all right, we're going to live with Zed key in the post. And there's an argument here and that you say, well, Zed key is not 
what he normally would be health wise. So maybe you're not getting, you know, what you would expect out of him if he was a hundred percent. Right. So that would lead yep. you to conclude, well, maybe we play him straight up more often, but I personally look at this matchup and think I'm mostly worried about Ohio state getting hot from three. And if we double him too much and he's successfully able to beat the doubles, um, what's going to happen when these guys are taking wide open threes. So number four key to the game, AJ Hogard and which AJ is going to show up. It's a simple fact. Uh, and, and I'm someone who, as I think a lot of our listeners know, I was very critical and very dubious uh, of AJ as a recruit and as a freshman um, last year, he obviously showed much, much more potential, but there were still major issues. And then this year for, you know, the first two months of the season, he was mostly very good. And you didn't hear a lot of criticism coming from me because there wasn't much need to criticize, but he backslid for about two weeks or so. And then he finally rebounded with wasn't a perfect game, but it was a very good game against Maryland. He did a lot of the things Michigan state needs him to do to win. This game is no different. Look, Ohio State's guards, for the most part, I don't think should be able to do a lot to keep A.J. out of the middle of that defense. I think he should be able to get into the lane. And if he can do that, then the opportunities he can create for himself or for teammates should be there. So then it comes down to what kind of decisions is he making? What kind of reads is he making? Um is he playing unselfishly? You know, those are the things that have to be there, but it's a simple fact. If he doesn't play well, it's very hard for Michigan state to win. If he does play well, they've got a great chance to win any game they play in. period. I don't care who it's against. And then the fifth key to the game, the transition game, something that, you know, you don't get a, going a whole lot in the big 10, but Ohio state may be an opportunity here uh, because of their defensive woes. You know, and I, in retrospect, as I was, as I was thinking about it and, and I was listening to, I think I was listening to the um, Spartan mag post-game podcast that they do. And those guys were talking about some of the things MSU did. And it had me feeling a little more positive about the transition game than I think I was initially when we did our take on it. Not that MSU piled up a boatload of points, but um, they are getting more it seems to me quick threes you know like there was yep. that big one that took late from tyson that took the lead from one to four right that was an example and it wasn't that it was a four on one but it was definitely transition it was quick it was a quick hitter <laughs> and msu made them pay and they've been it seems to me they've gotten a little more of that lately um i just i look at ohio state and i think this is not a very good defensive team. It's sort of an unconnected, undisciplined defensive team. And I think there may be some opportunities there. So we'll see if MSU is able to exploit that a little bit. And I guess I'll add a final key and just maybe just to open a brief discussion of the game in general. But this is a team that's reeling. I mean, they've lost 10-11. Iowa went into that game and they just basically self-destructed in the first 10 minutes of the game. They turned the ball over, I don't know, like seven, eight times, and they, they lost that game early and allowed Ohio State to get going a little bit. This is a team that you just have to put away early, or at least, you know, just make them feel 
terrible <laughs> about themselves because I think that's an opportunity, right? You can't come out you can't come out like they've done in a couple of these games where you're down ten and give the team some confidence, and then you're trying to play catch up. I would I would I would agree with that. Anytime you're on the road, it's important to not have a terrible start. On the flip side, we saw that even a 15-0 start doesn't guarantee you anything. Right. Well, that's true. But yes. but your point is well taken that the psyche of a Maryland team that came in having won four in a row versus where this Ohio State team presumably is psychologically is very different. And so the effect of a strong start might be different. I I don't count on that in a road game. I just want to see a solid start. I want to see yeah. Michigan State not kicking the ball around, getting good looks, and hitting some shots. You know, put pressure on Ohio State right away. And then defensively, for Michigan State to do the job that we know them to be capable of doing. Obviously, Ohio State is a capable offensive team and one that has some real weapons. I mean, this is not a team where you look at it and say, boy, they just struggle to score. They got guys that can score. But I also know Michigan State's got guys that can check. And so, you know, like one thing's going to be interesting to me, who guards Sensabaugh? My, my first thought and look at it is, well, I, I might lean AJ only in that AJ stronger. And Sensabaugh has a way of using his body to create space that, you know, Jaden can do it, but I think AJ might be, and, and Malik Hall too is obviously another category. So I would say Hall, Hall and Hogard would be guys there, you know, um, but it'll be interesting to me to see the defensive matchups, but I think um, Michigan state can hopefully make it tough on Ohio state to score and then get enough going offensively that they can settle into the game. And as you're alluding to happen when Iowa played them, not just give Ohio state a great deal of confidence and allow them to get rolling. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that's obviously has to be struggling with confidence. And yeah, you're yeah. right. They could be desperate. I mean, and in some ways you look at it, they could say to themselves, well, you know, we're 40 whatever in the net. We run off six or seven of the last eight or whatever. You know, we could be yeah. in the tournament. I guess, you know, you couldn't you couldn't argue against them. I mean, <laughs> I suppose it'd be possible. I don't know. Yeah, if if, if they yeah, you and, and look, they're they're kids and you would expect them to have that kind of optimism. So it's easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, it's over, but <laughs> I wouldn't expect them to believe that. So yeah, you can, you know, you can reasonably expect that they're going to, and they're at home. Let's not forget that. Even though I don't think that's ever been a great home court. It's not, it's just not, it's for those who haven't been there. Value city is basically the closest thing the big 10 has to a pro style arena in terms of the way it's laid out that, you know, where they, you'll hear people talk about how, boy, it seemed like their crowd was right on top of us. That's 180 degrees from the way it is at Ohio state. The crowd is not on top of you. Um, and it just, it's, it's not a great home environment by any stretch, but having said that, You'd rather be at home than on the road and in this situation, you know? And so if they can get off to a good start, they're comfortable. They're in a familiar environment. They do have their fans there. 
that would that would be a big positive for them. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Michigan State needs to find a way to uh, to at least be not let Ohio State build up a tremendous reservoir of confidence early on. You want to keep them questioning. It is a Sunday game, and so there'll be probably a little bit more than the few dozen who were there at the game tonight against Northwestern. Super Bowl Sunday, CBS, 1 p.m. You know, big, uh, yeah. when, when CBS set the schedule, I'm sure they they thought that it might be a typical Michigan State-Ohio State game where there was a lot at stake. And obviously to us there is, um, but this is not, I'm sure, quite the level of matchup <laughs> they had hoped for. No. And so, and you know, even Michigan State, I mean, middle of the pack. And well, that's 10, what right? I'm saying. I mean, I'm saying both Yeah, ways. right. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, this is the fourth of six straight weekends on the road for Michigan State. They still have to play uh, Michigan next and then to follow that by That's Iowa before they return home against Iowa again. That's unbelievable. Or, I'm sorry, Ohio State. It is. It's, uh, it's incredible. So the, only one, so the only one they get at home is the last one against well, Ohio State. Well, they had State. Michigan at home. It was okay, Michigan so at home, two. and then they were been on the road for six straight and now <laughs> <laughs> the last one against Ohio State. Yeah, it's been a bizarre schedule. That's yeah. It's a uh, yeah. And, P- and look, I mean, it, it, you could say, well, you know, the, the, they. How much does it matter? I I do think there's something to that. That if you're if you're regularly playing your home games on weeknights, you know, that's that's a little different than a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. You know, in a negative way potentially, although. I say that I've seen some of the live, some of the livest crowds I've ever seen and Michigan state games were on weeknights. So I don't know that it means the world, but it probably means something. I would say just from a family perspective, it's nicer going to weekend games. Oh, for sure. But, but I would say in general, I feel like set like a, a Saturday afternoon game, like at noon or two, it is a little bit sleepier crowd than you get at no. night at seven. I don't. That just is my impression. I'm not sure. No, exactly there, that's could be what sort of you know accuracy if you, if you think about it, one reason for that is you don't have as it's less of a factor in basketball than football at MSU, I think. But you don't have as much time for the crowd to get uh, pre gaming in, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, do people do that for basketball games? I suppose that maybe the students oh, do. The students I don't know. I don't do. feel like there's much tailgate. There's not any tailgate no, 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 for no, basketball no, usually. No, but you can go to a, you know, you can stop at, yeah, the, go pe- to bar. You can stop at the peanut barrel or, you know, yeah. the Riv or whatever the, whatever the more, the, uh, the newer places are that I'm not as familiar with, given that I'm a long way from my college years. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. Uh, well, uh, one brief programming note, if you did not have a chance to catch our last show, which yeah. is an interview with Madi Sissoko, and where he talks about Molly and his home and basketball a little bit and his foundation, please go back and listen to that. It's the And then if not, if you have listened to it, please go to the Madi Sissoko Foundation. I'll put a link to that in the show here as well, but it's amadisissokofoundation.org. You can contribute to his uh his charity in which he's raising money to build a school for his village and the neighbor neighboring villages really a cool kid i mean really you can't help but really just fall in love with that guy and what he's doing he's he's an impressive individual yeah and if, you know if you I, I mentioned this on the spartan mag board tonight but you know if you've listened to some of our earlier interviews with people who are in and around the program like mike garland thomas kelly they they all rave 
about Mati Sissoko, the person, the, you know, yeah. the player, obviously they think he, he gives a lot to provides a lot to them and has a lot more that he can provide. But as a person, just the, um, uh, the, the word that you hear about him is, is just tremendous. And I think, as you say, uh, what he's, what he's already done with his NIL money from this year, donating all of it and what he's trying to do with his foundation in, in getting this school built and look, here's the other thing. So if you look at the, if you go to the website, you'll see that the target is $50,000. Now that's not nothing. But that's not a hell of a lot from an American perspective to build a school, right. right? Yeah. With this fan base, that ought to be a no-brainer, easy thing to accomplish. And I hope I'm right about that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It, it should be. No problem. Yeah. And, and who knows? I mean, if he, can, if he can really turn this into something well beyond that, who knows what other things might be possible for them to do. But I think with that as a starting point and, you know, just to reiterate one of the things he told us currently for people in his village to go to school, a kid has to walk an hour and a half each way. Think about that for real. Yeah. <laughs> and like think the ones we talked our parents telling us about it. Right. Yeah. It's not one of those in my day where this is real and to have, to have a school right there, is going to make it um, so much easier for kids to continue to stay enrolled, to receive an education. It's going to improve um, the possibilities that they have in their lives. It presumably, I think it's fair to say, should improve life in the village as a whole. You have a more educated populace. Um, the knock-on effects, you can't even fathom how, how, uh, how large they could be. So, yeah, we both just encourage everybody listening who's able um, to think very seriously about donating uh, to this cause, because I, I think it's uh, I think it's one that, that it's just all upside. It's all positive. No question. You can watch you can listen to it on the podcast player. You can also watch the interview at our YouTube page at uh, uh, YouTube at at TFFINOTS. Uh, and I think, you know, it, to basically just to sum up with what kind of guy he is and what sort of uh, man he is. You really saw that when he had that great game against Kentucky and his, the way his teammates responded, how excited they were for him. I mean, that right. just shows you how beloved he is as far as a teammate and, and what a young man he is. Uh, and then I guess the other last thing is uh, I, I don't, we sort of briefly touched on the last time and people have asked before I am trying to figure out how to load the video of my last free throw. Per, <laughs> um uh, performance where I was uh, only with, I was only 33% this last night, but I hit five of 15. So um, I have advanced and I will be shooting at the next Ohio State. Better game, than Terrace the Reed. The season. <laughs> Better than Terrace Reed. Although he hit his. <laughs> he hit his. In the, I think in he's game. still under but, 33% on the year. I'd have to check. Last <laughs> time I checked, he was. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, I will continue working my family's like, uh, they're like, oh, we got to actually simulate it better in 30 seconds because it's very different trying to shoot quickly with a clock versus just like, you know, when you're in the gym by yourself. It also, it's strange, but I would say when I go to the line, it everything seems much closer. It's very weird sensation. I, don't, I can't explain it, but it doesn't seem like it's as far or as tall. And I don't know if it's, it must be the background compared to like shooting at the, at the Y. Uh, anyway, uh, that's just, that's just my problems. But 
maybe for me, perhaps the final four will be on the schedule. So we'll have to see. Uh, so tune in to find out. Uh, but I think we've gone long enough and uh, we'll talk to everyone after the, the Ohio State game before the Super Bowl. Till next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.